0: So we started this series through the book of 1 John that we've been doing for several weeks now. And we have a theme through that book that we're calling for his glory and for our benefit. And as you'll notice, we pull something from every passage that has both of those things. It has something that honors God and glorifies his name. But you have to understand, every time God calls us to do something, he always calls us to something that is for our benefit. You never have to choose between glorifying God and doing something that benefits you. They come together as a package deal. And we're going to notice that again today as God calls us to do something. So the title of the lesson today is going to be called Following Jesus. We're going to call it Following Jesus to Life. And you'll notice you have your little green, yellow sheets today, very neon-inspired. It's to wake you up, right? So you don't look down at a boring white sheet, but... Um, well, you can follow along with your notes if you want to. If you're not a note taker, that's okay as well. Before we get to the text, though, i ask you a question. Do you have anything in your life that you should be better at by now? Uh-oh. Think about that question. Something that you do every day that you think, I should be better at this by now because I've been doing it for so long. Well, I'm going to give you a list of things that I believe there are things that we should be good at by now, but we're not. A list of things we should be good at by now, and these are things that we do almost every day. Most of these things we do on an everyday occasion, and you'll understand where I'm going here. Number one thing I think we should be better at by now is sleeping. Anyone struggle to sleep? Anyone out there? Yeah, a couple of us. It gets worse. Gets worse with age. That's encouraging. Here's what I don't understand: We sleep. How much of our life do you think we sleep? It's almost a third. I mean, think about it. If there's 24 hours, they say you need around eight hours of sleep. That's about a third of our day that we sleep, a third of our lives that we spend asleep, and yet we're still really bad at it. I struggle getting to sleep. I struggle staying asleep, and I struggle waking up without a sore neck. Anyone else? (laughs) How can I be this bad at sleep still? I do it every single day, sometimes twice a day if things go really well. (laughs) But I'm still really bad at it. Here's another thing I think we should be better at by now is eating and drinking. I mean this this is something we do three or four times every day drinking we do a whole lot more than that and yet somehow I still miss my mouth. Yes. How is that possible? The other day I came home and looked at my shirt and said, "What are those things on my shirt?" They were stains from lunch. There was two problems. A, I didn't miss I missed my mouth and B, I didn't even know I missed my mouth. So <laughs> I'm not ready for the bib life. I'm not. My kids wear, maybe I should though. Here's another thing I think we should be better at by now, typing. That's right, and I'm really referring to you all on this one, okay? Because as most of you know, I use a physical keyboard on my phone, which allows me to type with pinpoint accuracy. But some of you, when you text an email Pastor Todd and you do it on the go, I see some bizarre words and phrases. <laughs> it's almost a code. I need a code to break it because I have no idea what you're trying to say. But we type all the time. You think we'd be really, really good at it. We still need a lot of help. Here's another one. Driving. Driving. You guys ever see one of those cars on the road that says student driver? And it's basically telling you, give this person a little bit more grace, a little bit more mercy. If they don't use their blinker, if they merge into your lane, if they drive into a restaurant, give them a little bit more grace. But here's what I think. I think 80% of us should have student driver on our car. 80%. I think there's about 20% that are actually good drivers. I'm not going to tell you which one I am, but... I think it's like a demolition derby out there some days, isn't it? It's like, man, I I just want to survive and get to where I want to go. Here's another one I think we should be better at, is responding to emails, texts, and voicemails. We act like it's 1994, people, okay? We have notifications on like five or six different devices that ping us every single time a text or notification comes in. I mean, we have smartphones, we have computers, we have tablets, we have smart watches are a thing now. Smart rings? Anyone have a smart ring? I told Janine I want a smart eyebrow. That's right. I want to invent the smart eyebrow. When a notification comes in, it drops down and lets me, oh, call David. Okay. And it zips right back up. So if you guys see the smart eyebrow there, I patented that. Okay. That's mine. But we're still really bad at getting back to people, right? It still takes about three or four days sometimes for me to get back to people. And I have to apologize. It's still 1994 in my brain. Um, Here's another one I think some of us are bad at and I want a show of hands. Walking. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of us. Why are we so bad at walking? Now, I shouldn't be bad at walking. Why? What's my last name? Yeah, pause for laughter there. Um, But I'm still really bad at walking. Sometimes I can't put one foot in front of the other. In fact, I think if there's that CCTV out there, there's probably some really embarrassing videos of all of us just trying to walk. And then you you put stairs in our way. Oh, boy, that's a whole other thing. Sometimes we're really bad at walking. Here's another one. Waiting. We should be better at waiting because everything takes a process of waiting, but I find myself still really bad at waiting. Let me give you an example. The other day on a Sunday, my mind should have been in a very good place, but I went to Dunkin' Donuts to get my coffee and I noticed there were like seven cars in the lane and what's a typical person think when they see seven cars in the lane? I mean, well, this time I'm going to go inside. I'm going to cut off all those people, park my car, go and get my coffee and I'm going to save like three, four, five minutes. Well, I did kind of. I went in, got my coffee, came out, and I noticed that the car I would have been in behind, he was still waiting, and I felt really good about that. I was like, oh. I saved a tremendous amount of time, and then God, it was almost like God had to humble me, because as I got into my car, guess what happened to my coffee? Spilled it. I spilled it. Oh. It went all over the sidewalk. I had to go chase the cup down, and then I, I, I still needed coffee, so guess what I did? I went back in the line, guess who I was behind? No. The same guy. Still bad at waiting. I don't know why. We don't like waiting. Here's another one I think we're bad at, we should be better at, is remembering. Remembering. Sometimes I have to get through the entire Rolodex of my kids' names before I land on the right one. (laughs) It happened, Titus Levi, Adelaide, what's your name? Thurmond. thank you. I can't remember their names. I told you the other day, I walked into a room and forgot why I went in there, and I forgot how to get back. I was trapped in a room I didn't want to be in And I couldn't get out (laughs) Remembering Here's another one I think we're bad at Is holding on to things You guys ever have the case of the drops You just can't hold on to anything It's like my hands are covered in Crisco I can't hold on to anything Now glad that I haven't dropped a child Okay, I've held on to the children But everything else And you guys ever do that when you drop something And you try to catch it And you end up doing this like dance For the next 20 seconds We're bad at holding on to things. Here's the last one I think we're bad at, at least I am, that I should be better at because I do it a lot. I do it twice a day at least. Dressing. Dressing. I should be better at getting dressed. Um, Anyone else do that one-legged dance when you're trying to put your pants on or a sock on? Anyone else? Nobody else? Okay, just me. (laughs) What should I do? I should sit down like a normal person and put my pants on, but I don't. I have to do the one-legged dance. I don't ever want to walk in here or someone else walk in here and say, Pastor Todd is not with us today because he's in the hospital. Well, what <laughs> happened to Pastor Todd? Well, he tried to put his pants on, <laughs> and it didn't go well. I don't, want to have, I don't want to make that announcement. That would be a really embarrassing announcement. There's things we're bad at that we should be better at, and sadly, maybe, maybe, is there's one in the Christian life that we're going to talk about today, and it's following Jesus. Following Jesus, many of us have been Christians for many parts of our life, a long period of our life, and we should be really good at following Jesus, but to some degree, we're still struggling with this concept. But we're going to get help today, and that's the Lord's blessing. If you have your Bibles, join us in 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 3 to 6. 1 John 2, 3 to 6, and what have I encouraged you to do? Through the book of 1 John, simply read it once a week. At some point, not today, but at some point, I'm going to start asking for a show of hands. So you have homework this week. Some of you are slipping your hand up going, I did. You have homework this week. Start reading 1 John once a week. It's not a long book. It'll take you about 15, 20 minutes. But by reading the book of 1 John, you will notice the context. You'll notice the themes pop up. You'll understand where John is going. Let's do that together today. We're going to read 1 John 1. Excuse me, that should say 1 John 2. Sorry for the typo there. First John two verses three to six. So don't look at the, the listen to the screen is wrong. Okay, First John two. Typing. See, uh, that's exactly right. I need more practice. See, I don't have a BlackBerry on my computer. That's the problem. All right, First John two verses three to six. Listen to the Word of God. It says, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, we need to remember something as we talk about following Jesus to life. We need to remember something called the context. Okay? Now, we're reading through an entire letter. And when you read through an entire letter, you can't cover the whole letter in one Sunday, so you end up taking bits and pieces of that letter. But one of the challenges of doing that is we sometimes forget and neglect the context of where we're coming from the previous week. And if you were here this past Sunday, we talked about the Advocate, about how Jesus Christ helps us in two really profound ways that John draws out. And I want us to briefly look at that context, because we need to understand Jesus is going to ask us to do something today. And we need to remember that he is our Advocate. He will always be our advocate. He will be our helper along this path. Every time he's asked us to do something, he says, I will be there to help you. So let's read the context of 1 John 2. There's the right chapter. And let's read the first two verses once again. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen, right? So that's the context of what we're about to look at from 1 John chapter 2. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is the one that goes to the throne room of God and and petitions for us and makes a claim that we are righteous and holy in God's eyes based on Jesus' death and resurrection and his precious blood that we just sang about. But he's also the propitiation He's the payment. He's the atonement for our sins. We could stand confidently today that we are cleansed and healed in God's eyes thanks to that blood of Jesus Christ, thanks to that death. And we need to know that, that he's going to ask us to do something today and he's going to help us. Keep that in the back of your mind, in in your pocket as we go along today, okay? Here's our simple outline that we want to follow today is, number one, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We want to be very clear on that because John is very clear on that. Number two, what is our assurance that God loves us? And number three, why are Jesus, what are Jesus' commandments and why must we obey them? And that's what he's going to call us to do today. So let's dive right into point number one. What does it mean to follow Jesus? This is a term we throw around a lot in the Christian circles. We say we're followers of Jesus. In fact, if you read the, books, the book of Acts, they were called something for the first time, that we call ourselves primarily Christians. And you know what the word Christian actually translates to mean? Little Christ. Little Christ. In fact, they were called Acts. In Acts, if you read the book of Acts, people called them Christians as a derogatory thing because they looked like Jesus. They acted like Jesus. They followed Jesus. So they called them Christians. And now we primarily call ourselves Christians, but that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we want to ask that question and answer that question today. What does it mean to actually follow him? What does it look like to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Now, if I asked you that question and you had to produce the answer to that question, I believe most of us could get that right. I believe most of us could get the the answer to that question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? But sometimes there's a disconnect between what we know and what we practice, correct? So sometimes, even though we know the answer, it doesn't translate into our normal life. And so we not only want to answer the question in an academic sense, but we want to answer the question in a practical sense. What does it look like to actually follow the Lord Jesus? Because that's what this is all about. That's what we're doing here. We're seeking to line up behind our Lord and Savior and follow him. So let's answer that question. In fact, before we get to the answer, if you remember, Jesus called the disciples, and the first two that he called were these two brothers. Let's read the account here in Matthew chapter 4. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who we know as Peter. His name was changed after he started following Jesus, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now I want you to imagine yourself being a fisherman, and one day a man comes up to you and says that exact phrase You're fishing? And you're catching fish. This is your profession. And someone comes up to you and says, follow me. From now on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What would your response be to that person? Please be a, leave us alone. We're trying to catch fish. You're bothering us. But what did these disciples do? They did something remarkable. Look at what it says. In verse 20, immediately, they left their nets, which means they left their profession. And they follow Jesus Christ. Is that profound? Is that shocking to you to read that account? Jesus says one phrase to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And they go, that's good enough for us. They leave their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their father, and they follow Jesus Christ. And from that point on, they are his followers primarily. What did they know about Jesus Christ at that moment? I'm not entirely sure. But they knew enough. And some of us, many of us in this room, came to Jesus Christ at a very young age. What did we know about Jesus Christ? What did we know about the gospel? What did we know about the word of God at that moment? When I was five years old, I trusted in Jesus Christ. Did I know a lot about the Bible? Did I know a lot about this journey and this path that he was calling me to? No, I did not. But guess what I did know? Enough. I knew enough that the Lord of the universe, the savior of the world, was calling me into relationship with him. And I needed to do that. And I think the disciples knew enough. They knew who Jesus was, that he was a very important person. Person spiritually and that if he beckons you to follow him you should do that exact thing so they left their nets and for the next three plus years of their life for the rest of their life they followed Jesus that's a really profound thing to know maybe you guys have heard this song before we used to sing this when we were younger it says I have decided to follow Jesus do you remember that song? I have decided to follow Jesus we used to sing that in our church And I want you to understand something. That is not contrary to the gospel. We know that Jesus Christ has to do 100% of the saving work. Does he not? We just sang about it, how we were dead in our graves. We were once without breath and without life. And then Jesus said, come out of your grave. And he did 100% of the saving work. But even the story of Lazarus, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, he shouts into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. Come forth. And Lazarus then has a decision to make, doesn't he? I can stay in the tomb and act like a dead man, keep all my burial clothes on me and just continue to lay here even though I'm alive. Or I can do what's logical and I can come out. So when Jesus asks us to follow him, he's asking us to do what is simply logical and correct to do once you're alive is to live like a person who's alive and follow the one who's given you that life. So therefore, you must decide to no longer live like a dead person but to follow Jesus. And I hope many of you have already made that decision. If by not, and if not, maybe by today you will. This is what it says, and again, we have the wrong chapter here. Remember, this is chapter 2. But this is the answer to the question. John's going to give us the answer to the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He's going to cut straight through it all. He's going to give us the very blunt answer, and this is what he says. By this we know, we have assurance, confidence, confidence, That we have come to know him. And this idea of knowledge here is really an intimacy. It's not just an academic knowledge of Jesus, the person, and his name, and what he came to earth to do. It's much deeper than that. This is a very intimate knowledge that we have of the Lord Jesus. And John says we know that we actually know him by one simple thing if we keep his commandments. See how simple that is? It's It's so simple a child can understand that. We know that we're Christians. We know that we're followers of Jesus. We know that he loves us and we love him by one single thing. We keep his commandments. And this theme is going to keep coming up in our lesson today. Keep his commandments. That's going to be very simple, very straightforward. But I love things like that. I love that they're simple. I love that I don't have to think too deeply about that. He says in verse 4, Whoever says, I know him... That's the claim. I know Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. But does not keep his commandments. John says he is a liar. Because two plus two does not equal, excuse me, does not equal nine. It's not a working equation. You cannot claim to be a Christian and care nothing about his commandments. For those who claim such a thing, he says they're a liar and the truth is not in him. He does not practice the truth. That's not a working equation. And we need to know that today, okay? We need to know how important these commandments are because when I was younger, the commandments, everyone talked about the commandments. And it seems like for 15, 20 some years, people stopped talking about it. They stopped being important. No one talks about the commandments anymore. But when you come to the word of God, you can't help but see these words over and over again. And so John is really going to hammer this home. If you say you're a follower, if you want to be a follower, you must get this concept of understanding how important his commandments are. <laughs> you guys remember the story of Pinocchio, right? Pinocchio, when he lied, his nose grew long. And John is saying us to that today, if you're saying you're a Christian, if you're saying you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't obey him, you're going the wrong way. You're going opposite of the way that you should go because that's not the way that you've been called to go. The way that you've been called to go is by lining it behind Jesus and letting him be your Lord and your master in all things. So when he says something, you say yes. And when he tells you to not do something, you say, of course, I will avoid that. But John is talking about a group of people that say, I do follow Jesus, but I don't actually follow Jesus. And that's honestly, that's a problem in our culture. We have a whole chunk of people that are saying that exact thing. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I just don't really go to church. I really don't obey him. I really don't tell anybody about him. I don't do any of the Christian things. But at the end of the day, I'm definitely with Jesus. He'll know me. I'll know him. He'll let me into the kingdom. And John says, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You cannot go the wrong way and claim to be a Christ follower. But again, I don't want us to get discouraged by this because we need to understand he's here to help us. Jesus is here to help us understand this equation. And here is how simple the equation is. Being a follower of Jesus equals keeping his commandments. If you want to be a little Christian, little Christ, you must do this. You must obey him. You must be okay with Jesus making the rules of your life. Till you give up your command, up your keys, up your control of your life and you hand it over to Jesus Christ and if not that's your decision but therefore you can't call yourself a follower of Jesus because that's what it looks like to follow Jesus Um, and what I love about God and you guys used to make these things as kids maybe you still do to some degree but you would make a Christmas list and a birthday wish list and my kids do this every birthday they always have 700 things that they want from their mom and dad especially Marcus Marcus The list just keeps going, and I'm like, Marcus, pick three, buddy. Um, But they make these Christmas lists and these birthday lists so that we know we have an idea of what to expect. Well, God is basically doing it for us today. He's telling us one thing. Obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to guess what to get God? I'm thankful when my wife tells me this is what I'm kind of looking for for my birthday. This is what I kind of want for Mother's Day. Men, yes. next Sunday, put it up here. Okay, don't forget your mom and your wife next Sunday. Uh, I like that. I like when someone gives me a little bit of a guidance. In fact, I told you the, the engagement story when I uh, bought a ring for Janine. The first thing I had her do is bring me into a jewelry store and show me a starting point of a ring that she liked so that I didn't come back with the complete opposite and for the rest of her life, she had to wear that thing. Um... I like that. I like when people tell me what to get them, what, what's a starting point, point? and I love that God does that. We don't have to guess. He says, obey me. Here are my commandments. This is exactly what I want from your life. Do these things. That's very simple. We don't have to guess. Let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine that you're a little child, okay, and your room is really messy, and your mom notices that one day, okay? This actually happened to some degree with my mom. My mom's in the audience. Um, our rooms would be messy from time to time. So in this hypothetical scenario, you're a child, okay, and your mom takes a look at your room one day and it's, it's a disaster area. They love using that phrase. It's a disaster area. I, I still don't know what that means. But they look at your room and they say it's a disaster area and she gives you a very clear cut commandment. I want you to clean up your room. And she says in this hypothetical scenario, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go get some groceries. And by the time I come home, I want that room cleaned up. I want it clean. I want it looking spotless. I want it looking just like it always does. And that's your commandment. While I'm gone at the grocery store, clean up your room. Well, while she's gone, you decide that you don't really want to clean your room. Because it takes a lot of work to clean your room when it's messy. But you want to let mom know how much she is to you, how much you love her. So you decide to write her a note. You sit down and you think of all the best words you can think of about how great she is, how much she does for you. And it takes you a while. It takes you about 20, 30 minutes. You write that note. It's full of all these loving adjectives and phrases. And then you take that note and you set it up on the nice kitchen table. You make it look all pretty. You put a little you know, colored flower on it and you make sure it says her name so she'll see it right when she gets home. And your mom comes home with the groceries. She comes up and she sees this note on the table and it says, Mom. And she opens it and she reads this long note about how much you love her, how much she means to you. And she's touched. It's so heartfelt. It's such a treasure that she reads this note until she walks down and sees your bedroom and it's completely disregarded do you think the words in that note make much sense do you think they mean a lot to mom at that moment when she gave you one clear directive and you completely disregarded it mom did that actually ever happen probably I'm sorry about that but that's basically what Jesus is telling us today is don't guess don't make it up don't Come up with your own idea of how to please me. I'm going to tell you exactly what I want today. Obey my commands. If you want to follow me, if you want to please the Lord, if you want to please my son, follow Jesus. Do exactly what he tells you to do. That's number one. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Obey him. And we'll come back to what that looks like. But let's look at number two. What is our assurance that God loves us? You ever ask that question? That's a good question to ask sometimes. What is your assurance that God actually loves you? And I want you to take that us, and I want you to put your name there. I want you to make it very personal. What is our assurance that God loves you and God loves me? Because we need to have that, right? The other day we went to a planetarium with our twins. It was their ninth birthday, and they love space. So there's a planetarium, St. Johnsbury. We went to the planetarium, and it was really cool. I sat there as a 43-year-old man going, ooh. (laughs) because it was really cool. And anytime you study space and look at space, you come to one conclusion. I'm so small. I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. According to the vastness of space and the complexity of God's creation, who am I? Who am I that God would love me? God, do you really love someone like me, someone as small and insignificant, and even a sinner like me? Could you possibly love me? I ask those questions from time to time because it's, it's so shocking still that God could love me. In First John chapter 2, verse 5, he says this, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected. That's what's called a promise. And you have to understand, when God makes a promise, God stands by his word every single time. God cannot break a promise. So when he says, whoever keeps my word truly, the love of God is not only there, but it is perfected. That is a promise that you can take to the bank. And again, one simple thing makes that clear. Keeps his word. Do you notice the pattern here? Obey my commandments. Keeps his word. Paul, when he writes the the letter to the Romans... He says this thing in verse 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul found it so amazing that he could be God's child, God's servant, that he called himself a bondslave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It was so amazing that he could be considered a servant of the king, the king of kings. I get to serve him? I get to love him, I get to follow him, I get to be united with the king of kings. Paul writes this letter to the Romans and says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And you're looking at that letter going, oh, it's kind of degrading, Paul. Are you really a bondservant? Are you really a bondslave? And Paul goes, oh, I'm so happy to be a bondservant. I was once serving the other side, serving the devil, and now not only am I just cleansed of my sins, but I'm brought into a relationship where I can love and serve the king of kings. And so he described himself that way. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and I'm glad to be so. And the only thing that identifies Paul as a bond slave of Jesus Christ is that he kept his commandments. He kept his word. He did what Jesus said to do. And this is how we know today that Jesus actually has love for us, is because we're able to serve him. We're able to listen to his commandments And obey them. We're able to do what he says. Do you know the world cannot do that? They cannot do that. The the Lord can tell them what he desires and the world will say, I don't want to. Or I don't understand. Or that is no interest to me at all. But for those who are his children, we go, yes. Yes, I want to and I will. Because it's a privilege to serve the king of kings. How do you know that Jesus loves you? How do you know that you you love him and he loves you and that you're in this covenant relationship together? Because you can listen to his words and you can put them into practice. That is impossible for a sinner to do. But as soon as you have the love of God, you can say yes to righteousness and no to sin. And what Jesus is doing today by inviting us to obey his commandments is he's inviting us to life. He's inviting us to life. Follow me. To life, eternal, abundant life. How do we know that he loves us? Because he went up to Calvary. He took our cross, our sin, our shame, our guilt, and he paid for every single one of them. And then he says, I have paid for your death. I have taken care of your punishment. You are cleansed, you are healed, you are righteous in the eyes of God. Now follow me to life. Follow me to life. Obey what I say because my words are your life. My words are your abundant eternal life. Every time I call you to something, it's a gift from above. And we need to understand that that Jesus is not trying to steal our joy. On the contrary, he's saying, I'm taking you to the abundant eternal life. Line up right behind me and go this way. 1 John 5.13, we looked at this when we first started beginning studying the word of God, or studied 1 John he says at the end of uh, chapter 5, he tells us why he's writing First John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Man, aren't you glad that you don't have to guess about that? That you have to round up? Aren't you glad that you don't have to roll the dice and go, man, I hope I have eternal life. I hope that when I stand before God at judgment, day, I'm his and he's mine. John says you don't have to guess. I'm writing these words. I'm writing these books so that you can know, you can have assurance that God loves you, that you love him, and that on the last day he's going to say, welcome home, child. That's why I'm writing these things. That's why I'm telling you these things today, so that you can know that you have eternal life. God told us in Jeremiah 1, chapter 31, he says this phrase, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is amazing to know, that before the foundations of the world, God says, I love Todd. Todd will be mine. I will love him from eternity to eternity. There will never be a break between my love and Todd, all because of Jesus Christ. And he's telling us to that today and inviting us to that relationship of love, of life, of eternal, abundant life by saying, obey me, follow me, listen to my son, line up right behind him. Is that something you want? Do you want eternal, abundant life that leads to eternal life with God and the kingdom of God forevermore? I hope that you do, because that's what these commandments are all about. They're about your abundant life and joy forevermore. In Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus gave this long discourse, this long sermon, much longer than one of mine, okay? Just telling you in case. Uh, at the end of chapter 7, this one's not real long. But at the end of chapter 7, Jesus said this, this kind of parable, kind of hypothetical scenario, and there's a message tucked in there, and he says this in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, notice what's not there. There's no period. There's a phrase after that. And does them. Do You notice that? Everyone who hears these words of mine listens to the words of Jesus and obeys them Will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus. Jesus is the rock. And guess what happens when someone builds their life upon the rock of Jesus by obeying his commandments? The rain fell, and it's not just physical rain on earth, but it's something spiritual. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Okay, so he gives you a scenario. Those who hear my words and do them, they stand upon the rock, and the rock will never fall. Therefore, their house will never fall. But conversely, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. So we have two people with two very similar things going on. Both of them hear the words of Jesus. But in the first case, the person says, yes, I will obey. I will follow you. I will listen to your commandments. I will do exactly what you told me to do. And they stand upon the rock. But the second group of people, they also hear the words of Jesus, but they don't do them. And he says, they will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The same rain will fall. The same floods will come. The winds will blow and beat against that house. But this time it fell and great was the fall of it. Why would Jesus say such a thing? Why would he tell his listeners this? That sounds a little hard to hear. It sounds a little discouraging going, man, if I don't obey your words and my house is going to collapse and the fall will be great, and Jesus says, yes. Why are you telling us this, Jesus? Because I don't want your house to collapse. It's that simple. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To save us. Not to condemn us, but to save us and restore our relationship with God so that we could have eternal, abundant life. So why does he tell us hearers? To obey him so that their house doesn't collapse one day. So that they don't get to Judgment Day and go, yes, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. And then God looks at your life and says, I don't see anything like that in your life. I don't see any obedience, any following, any faithfulness, any loyalty to Jesus. You thought you were on the rock, but you were actually on the sand. And now your house collapses. God doesn't want that. Jesus does not want that. So he tells us here, listen to me and obey me. (laughs) <laughs> a little panic stricken this is what he wants to have happen okay? instead of this blind, my, blind guy walking off the ledge he wants us to stand one day on a rock that will never fall now this past week I had the privilege of going down to Concord New Hampshire to pray over the 20th anniversary of the falling off of the man of the mountain which I thought was a little bizarre because I just got here. <laughs> I know nothing of the man of the mountain. I'd never seen the man of the mountain. But I was called and beckoned from the north country, a pastor from the north country, to pray over the proceedings. I met the governor, and I was asked to pray over this 20th anniversary. And in my prayer, as I was asking the Lord what to pray for, what message the people would hear, even in my prayer, I said something to the likes of this, that even though the man of the mountain fell off, thankfully, glory to God, there's one rock that will never fall. The rock of ages. Jesus Christ. And if we build our lives upon that rock, that rock will hold secure. Aren't you thankful that on the the last day when the judgment comes, when the rain and the floods begin and beat against your house, there's a rock that you can stand on? There's a rock that you can build your house upon. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Because I know what I deserve. And I know that if it's left up to me to keep my own house up, it's not going to stand. It's going to collapse. And Jesus says, Well, then you need a rock. You need a rock. And you need to stand up on that rock forevermore. And therefore, I'm inviting you to life, Todd. I'm inviting you to life today. Follow me. What is our assurance that God loves us? That we can obey him. Because that is impossible for the sinner. If you can obey Jesus Christ, you must know God and he must know you. Because how do you know his words? And how can you obey his words unless he has your best interest at heart and he has given you his Holy Spirit? Number three, before we close today, what are Jesus' commandments and why must we obey them? Let's finish on that today. What are these commandments? Because he says again in verse 5, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected. So we need to know what this is and what that looks like. You could tell the tone changes in the room when I have to have a conversation with my children about obedience. They love talking about cartoons. They love talking about toys. They love talking about going out and playing in the park and outside. All those conversations go great. But as soon as I start talking about obedience, this is kind of the look you get here. And that's not really the topic pastors love to talk about is obedience because you kind of sap the life out of the room. Going, oh, oh, pastor, really? Just get to the love and the forgiveness and leave us alone. But, but if we understand this today, then obedience is forgiveness. Obedience is life. Obedience is all the blessings of God, because they all flow from this concept of following Jesus Christ. Now, you tell me right now, what is the difference between these two signs? Does anyone know? Hopefully you do, because you've been driving a long time. What's the difference between the yellow 30-mile-an-hour sign and the speed limit sign? Someone said it. A warning sign. A warning sign. Or this one, they actually call You know what they call it? suggested they do it's called a suggested speed limit you'll see these around turns when you take a turn and they go 30 miles an hour that's kind of what we tell you it's kind of what we warned you they're basically telling you it's not the law but it's advised that you go around 30 miles an hour because we don't want to see your car flip okay we don't want anything bad to happen so around that turn go careful slow it down there's a mountain on the other side be careful so that's called a suggested speed limit it is it actually is but you know what this white one's called the law the law if you disobey the 30-mile-an-hour one, you go 40, and your car doesn't flip, probably no one cares. But if you, obey the, if you disobey the speed limit, you can be pulled over and ticketed because that's the law. That's not suggested. That's something they expect you to keep. So now you know, right? If you see these two signs, when it says 30, go 60. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> what a horrible thing for a pastor to say. No, listen to both. Listen to both. They're both both for your benefit. But that's the difference, right, between one that's suggested and one that's a law. Let me give you an example in the Word of God. One that I grew up, people said you can't drink. Christians don't drink. And for, for many years, we, we didn't drink because drinking was sin. But then you look in the Word of God, and you, it's tough to make that work. The Word of God does not say don't drink. You know what it says? Don't get drunk. Meaning one is suggested and a conviction that you can make, and one is law. One is God telling you, don't get drunk, because drunkenness leads to bad things, leads to disorder, leads to chaos, leads to sin. Don't get drunk. But drinking, that's your own conviction before the Lord. And you have to know the difference between something God said and something he left open to your own interpretation and conviction. That's why these commandments are important, so that we know what God actually said, what he said in verse 4 he says this, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So we need to really know what these commandments are. We've done this before, but let me tell you one last story. When I was in 7th grade, um, who remembers back to 7th grade? That was a long time ago, right? When I was in 7th grade, it's junior high now. okay? Junior high was now a big deal, and you cared about things like getting being popular. I went to a public school and that started to become important around seventh grade. So in seventh grade, there was this kid in our class. His name was Eric. And he was cool. He was cool. He was one of those kids that were cool. He was a little edgy, kind of to- like to toe the line. He was one of those kids, like seventh grade, I was still you know, bringing one of those like DuckTales um, thermoses to lunch and lunch pails. Not Eric. Eric just brought his lunch in a brown paper bag. It was so edgy. It was like, man, Eric, you're cool. You don't need the DuckTales thermos. And so everyone wanted to be friends with Eric. Well, Eric was in one of my classes. And I remember one time he came up and spoke to me. And I was like, wow, Eric's talking to me. He's so cool. And Eric came up to me and asked me a question. He said, yo, Todd. That's how they talk in 7th grade. Yo, Todd. Because goes, what kind of bands are you into? What kind of music do you like? And I was like, oh, man. That's not a question you want to ask a conservative Christian man. <laughs> Boy. Because I knew that saying Steve Green or Michael Card or Phillips, Craig, and Dean was not going to land me friendship with Eric. So I tried to make it up. I tried to fake it. And I tried to come up and I tried to say a band of a band that I had heard someone else say, and hoping that Eric would just high five me and we'd be friends forever. And I said, you know what, Eric? You know the band I really like. I like the band Aerosmith. I really like Aerosmith. And he looked confused when I said that. And he goes, Do you mean Aerosmith? Todd, I said, Yeah, Aerosmith. And I started to punch the arrows like Aerosmith. Love Aerosmith. And he goes, really, Todd? What are some of your favorite songs by Aerosmith? And I'm like, oh, man. Eric really tested me here. But I was savvy back in seventh grade. I was really savvy. So I said something like this. There's too many good ones. Too many. I can't pick one. They're all good. And I think Eric was on to me because he said this. He said, really, Todd? Let me ask you a question. Which song do you like better? Do you like Thunderstruck or Enter Sandman? And I was like... Let me think about that one, Eric, because they're both really good. I said, I'm going to go with Thunderstruck. I think Thunderstruck is Aerosmith's best song. And he goes, really, Todd? Aerosmith doesn't sing either of those songs. And he walked away, and I just left there with egg on my face, going, huh. What was I? A fraud. I was not an Aerosmith fan. Still am not. I don't care. But I wanted to be friends with Eric. And Eric found me out that day that I was a fraud. Well, here's what we're finding out today. Many people say they're Christians in our culture. In fact, we're going to look at a stat here in a little bit of how many people claim to be Christians. But Jesus is going to test that today by saying, if you are a Christian, if you do follow Jesus Christ, then there's going to be one thing that's crystal clear about you. You will know his commandments. You will obey his commandments. And our question today is which commandments do Christians have to obey. Now I've done this before and I'll do it again here today, but I don't have a lot of time to linger. So take a screenshot if you're watching this online or go back and listen to it. We're going to race through this a little bit because really we need to know that. We need to know what commandments do Christians have to obey if we're going to obey those commandments so that we can validate that we actually belong to Jesus Christ. And so here are the options that I see in scripture. I think there's four categories of commandments that Christians in the New Testament, the New Covenant, could obey. Okay, we're not going to go down the ceremonial law back in the Old Testament with Moses. I think these are the four categories of commandments that Christians should and could obey. But which one is it? Is it the two greatest commandments? Because Jesus was asked point blank, which is the greatest commandment? And he gave two. And we'll look at that here in a little bit. Is it the Ten Commandments? Because that's the, the, the most glorified commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, they made a movie about it. That's when Moses went up on the mountain and came down with two tablets of stone. Are those, are those the commandments Jesus means when he says, obey my commandments? Well, when Jesus came, he taught. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? He gave this long discourse of, of following me and obeying me. And he gave a whole bunch of commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. So is is that the commandments you're talking about, Jesus? And then you read the rest of the New Testament by James, John, Peter, Paul. They're full of commandments. All the letters that they're writing to the churches are full of commandments. So which commandments are Christians supposed to obey? Let me help you, because I think it's very simple. We have these two overarching commandments that Jesus said when he was asked point blank, which commandment is the greatest? He said, the number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he said, on these two commandments hang the entire law and prophets. Okay? So if you learn those two, you'll learn them all. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But again, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the teachings of Jesus? What about the New Testament writers? And I think quite simply, this is what he's doing. They all build on one another. They all flow from the same commandment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you read the Ten Commandments, what are they all about? Love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. When you read the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what are they all about? Loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. When you read the New Testament writers, Paul, James, John, Peter, the others, what are they all about? Loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So what are they doing? Are they making up new commandments? No, they're further elaborating on the two greatest commandments that Jesus ever gave. So when you look at the commandments in the Word of God, they boil down to two. It's always love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But in order to obey them properly, we need further instruction. Okay, the other day we got my children a telescope. Because again, they love space. Um, You're going to learn something about me very soon. I'm not good at putting things together. So when you open it up an instruction book and it's something complicated like a, a telescope, there's two things that people do for you. They have these, the list of instructions. This is what you do. This connects to this. Do this. And then they also have, which helps, for, helps a guy like me, pictures. Yes. Yes. So that I can look and go, oh, that's the doohickey they're talking about. And I can go, and I still do it wrong. But aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just say, love the Lord and love your neighbor and doesn't elaborate on that at all? Because you and I were sinners by nature, we could do that wrong. We could all interpret that our own different ways, but we don't have to. Because He gave us the Ten Commandments, Jesus came to elaborate on the Ten Commandments, and the New Testament writers came to elaborate on the teachings of Jesus. They're nothing new, they're nothing different, they're all the same, too, further explained. Those are the commandments. If you want to know which commandments to obey, There they are right there. The entire word of God, primarily in the New Testament. Those are the commandments that you and I should obey and follow Jesus Christ. And I told you, they all all boil down to two commandments, and really they all boil down to one commandment, love. In Romans 13, Paul says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love doesn't hurt anybody. In fact, love blesses, love encourages, love edifies, love strengthens, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the entire law. Get to know love. If you want to obey the commandments of God, get to know love inside and out, backwards and forwards. Get to know how to best love your neighbor, and you will obey the commandments of God. Because the entire law hangs upon that concept of loving God and loving your neighbor. In fact, Paul elaborates in 1 Corinthians 13 because. He wants us to know how important love is, so he says this, If I speak in the tongues of men, the languages of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want you to picture junior high music class. Um, Without love, that's what you sound like to God. Junior high music (laughs) class. Or me with a cymbal now. Um, That's what it sounds like. It's not beautiful. It's not sweet-smelling. When you take love out of the Word of God, you take love out of the Christian life, you don't have anything profound. You don't have anything that God delights in. It's all about love. And so he encourages us there over and over again. Let's answer this before we close today. Why? Why should I obey the commandments of God? Why should I go his way instead of my own way? Because I'm pretty smart, right? I, I can... Navigate this life on my own? Do I really need God to tell me what to do? My, my children have that same thought when dad and mom are telling them what to do. And I think I know better. I think I could tip my chair back and be okay. Boom. Um, wrong. You can't. So why? Why do we need to obey? Well, he says this at the end. He says, By this we come to know that we are in him. There it is again. Not just know him, but actually in him, inside of his covenant, inside of his promises, inside of his love. How do we know that? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The same direction. Your life should look like his. Your speech should sound like his. Your actions should look like his. Your thought patterns, your desires, your loves, your hates, they should start to look like Jesus Christ. The other day, Janet brought me one of these. You guys remember these? The What Would Jesus Do Bracelet. They were popular when I was a little kid. In my youth group, wore these And she thought it was just a simple concept for us to remember the most important thing. What would Jesus do? Because that's what the whole Christian life boils down to. How would Jesus act? How would Jesus think? How would Jesus speak? How would Jesus conduct himself? What would Jesus do in this situation? Why do we ask that question? Because that's how we have to go. That's exactly how we have to go. Whatever Jesus did, whatever Jesus said, that's our law. And we need to know that. We need to line up right behind him. And I told you, many of the, of the world, many people in the world that we live in, in the country that we live in, call themselves Christ followers. Did you know that? In fact, the majority, the majority of Americans and the majority of the world, at least as far as religion goes, claims to be Christian. Let me give you some stats. How many Christians are there in America? 210, approximately, million people say they follow Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a very simple question. If 63% of America followed the commandments of Jesus Christ, do you think this country would be in a little better shape than it is right now? (laughs) What about the world? The world says there are 2.3 billion Christ followers. That is a lot of Christ followers. Do you think this world would be in a better shape than it is right now if there were actually 2.3 billion people obeying the commandments of Christ and following His every word? And the answer is absolutely. The reason why it's not is because that's not true. In fact, it might not even be close to true. There are many people, there's a a good chunk of people saying, I follow Jesus Christ, but I don't actually follow him. I love him, but you can't see it. And that's a problem. And John says that's a big problem. Because he says this, by this we know love. How do we know that God loves us? Because he wrote it in the sky. No. No. By this we know the love of God. How do we validate that God loves us? Because he says it, he declares it, and he says, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love, but how do I know God? He laid down his life for us. And notice there's a comma. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you notice the two-way street? He loves us, and he proved it by his obedience to God and his dying on the cross, so that when he says, I love you, we go, I know you do, Jesus. I know you do, because you died for my sins. Now, when we declare our love to God, and he says the same thing back to us, how do I know? What do we say in return? Because Jesus says, I went to Calvary for you. And we say, or we should say, I obey your word, God. Your word is my delight. Your word is my law. Whatever you say is my absolute mission and purpose in this life, to walk in love. So Jesus can say the very same thing. I know you love me, Todd, because you listen to me. And you know it's the greatest delight of a father for their child to follow in their footsteps. Did you know that? It is. And I can't map out Haddon's life, and I'm not going to try. I'm going to let the Lord do that. But it would be my greatest delight for Haddon and my other sons to follow in my footsteps. Because that's what a father delights in. To see their children going the same way, if they're going a good way. And watch their children do the same thing. I remember when my dad would say that to me. Because he was proud of me. Because my life started to look like his pattern. Because he followed Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where is Jesus bringing us? To life. By asking us and telling us and demanding that we obey him, he's saying, I love you and I want you with me forevermore. And for you to be with me forevermore, you've got to go this way. You can't go this way. This way is darkness and sadness and danger and over here is life. Get, up, get right behind me. Do what I say, do what I did, and follow me till the end. And I brought up that song at the beginning that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. What's the last phrase? No turning back. No turning back. Why? Because where is back? Sin, darkness, danger, and death. Forward, following Jesus Christ. Our application before we close today's. I'm going to race through these things. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, number one, you need to abandon all other paths. Why? Because all other paths do not lead to life. In fact, none of the other paths lead to life. If you want to follow Jesus to life, you have to understand he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you've got to get right behind him. And therefore, to abandon all other paths, you have to commit yourself to Jesus. Only Jesus. Don't let the world convince you there's many paths to God, many paths to heaven. There's not. Jesus told us. There's one. It's Him. He's the only Savior of the world. He's the only Christ, the only Messiah, the only Lamb of God, the only Good Shepherd, the only Light of the world. We have to get right behind Jesus and follow Him. And as we've learned today, we can't just say we want to follow Him or we will follow Him. We must obey His commandments. We must learn what He wants, what He desires and begin practicing those things. And then lastly, stay focused. Don't look to the right or the left, because you know that's the devil's game, right? To take your vision from Christ and put it anywhere else. Because if he takes your vision and puts it anywhere else, you'll follow that anywhere else, and you'll be on a beaten path someday. And I did it. I know that happens, because I actually did it. So therefore, keep your mind and your vision on Jesus. And let's end with this verse today from Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who have come before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. How do we follow Jesus? We get right behind him spiritually speaking, we listen and we obey. It's that simple. For the rest of our life, whatever footprints he takes, take the same and follow him. And that is how we are brought to life. Now, the last thing we're going to look at today is I told you in every single one of these lessons, there's something that is for his glory and for our benefit, and this is what I believe it is today. God sent Jesus to grant us eternal life, which he did. And Jesus died and rose again. And what is eternal life? It's being loved by and loving Jesus forever. When he calls you into that covenant of love, he's calling you into eternal life. They're the same thing. So when Jesus says, obey me, he's saying, I love you. You have my love. You have my protection. You have my kingdom forevermore. And to that we should say, amen. Let's bow and pray. Jesus, Father, we are so thankful for this lesson today that we don't have to guess at how to follow Jesus Christ. You have told us, you have given us the clear-cut instructions and today all we need to do is to listen to what your word says. Help us to do that very thing. Help us to not get distracted or deterred by anything else but listen to Jesus. Follow right behind him. Stay in his word. Stay in his church. Stay gathering with the people of God and continuing following the same pattern that he left us because he left us a pattern for a purpose so that we could follow him to life. Thank you for that message today. I pray a blessing over Crossroads Church and everyone who hears today that if there's someone who's not yet following Jesus or hasn't understood what that means until today, that today they would and they'd line up behind him and say, Jesus, I belong to you from now on. Please bring me to life. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.